Hola, que tal? Welcome to Chapter 5 of my podcast, Live from Mexico City, My Mexican Mistakes. Today's Friday, June 14th, and since the last time we met, of course, I have made plenty of mistakes. But before I get into the mistakes, um, I do want to talk to you about what has quickly become my favorite telenovela here, Mi Pecado, My Sin. Um, And as you remember, or you may remember, it is my love of telenovelas that has brought me to Mexico because I want to write the telenovela of my dreams, which is why after a few years of learning Spanish from telenovelas, I left my job, my home, my family, Yes, I like to say I left my job to make it sound very dramatic, but I retired a little early. Um, And I did leave my home, but it was a rental. And I did leave my family, but I'm going to see them very soon. So, you know, it all works out in the end. Um, But I like to make it more dramatic. I left my job, my home, my family. Um, But I did, you know, leave Chicago And I left everything I knew behind to come to Mexico, to immerse myself in Spanish, to immerse myself in Mexico, and to write the telenovela of my dreams. And I am here and I'm having the time of my life. Of course, it is a life filled with mistakes, which I'll get to my latest in a minute. But in the meantime, I've got to tell you about this telenovela, Mi Pecado, which I really was very unfamiliar with. Um, and I am probably at the end, towards the end of the show. Uh, I have no, I still really can't figure out what's happening, but I love everything that is happening, and it just gets better every night. Something happened the other night that um, was fantastic. Those of you who have been listening to me or have heard some of my open mic nights or read things I've written, um, might recall that one of my favorite moments in a telenovela is when somebody shows up in someone else's doorway or house and the person says, ¿Qué haces aquí? What are you doing here? ¿Qué haces aquí? What are you doing here? I've said it before. ¿Qué haces aquí? is, you know, just a standard in a telenovela. You're going to hear that line a lot, but you can't hear it enough. The best part of ¿Qué haces aquí? is everybody gets a turn on that wheel, even the kid who comes home from school. The mother's like, ¿Qué es ese aquí? And the kid's like, I, I live here. Um, but it's never good to be on the wrong end of ¿Qué es ese aquí? which is always the other side of that question. So, having said that, and I've also explained before that that was the very first phrase in Spanish that I learned when I was watching telenovelas, because they say it all the time. Um, And I love saying it even when it's not relevant. It doesn't really matter to me if it's relevant or not. I just like to trot that out as much as I can. Much like another saying, mira nada más, like look who's here, or well, well, well. There's like several different meanings, but you always have to say it with like a tone of kind of snideness, like mira nada más. Well, 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 look who's here. I love saying that too. Um, Somehow, if you combine, what are you doing here with look who's here? ¿Qué es aquí? 
Miranatamas. Or maybe it's Miranatamas. Que haces aquí? Yeah, that's the way it should go. Um, I think it could be like an ultimate insult. Uh, in any event, I love Kesaki. If I had a talk show, I would call it Kesaki and force my guests to answer what they're doing there, in fact. Um, and I'm waiting for somebody to steal that idea. I can't believe nobody's stolen it yet. Um, so the other night in Mi Picado, uh, I think it's Maite Peroni. I'm not sure. Uh, she is kind of on her own now, except for the housekeeper who apparently is forced to dress in traditional Chiapas uh, outfits, the dresses, even though everybody else in the house can pretty much wear as many artificial fabrics and as much glitter and uh, fake animal hair as they want, uh, the housekeepers must wear the traditional Chiapas dresses. In any event, Maite Peroni is sad because her father died in the fire last week, and it took like, you know, 20 minutes for him to die, and I told you all about that. But um, her mother, um, who apparently was on the verge of a nervous breakdown the last time we saw her, I don't know if the mother's recovered or not. I can't figure out if the mother got off that sick bed when her husband died in the fire and is now the one that's blonde and all made up because I don't see any sign of a lady in a sick bed, and I don't know who this blonde is with this extremely heavy eye makeup. And that might be the mom. In any event, Maite Peroni was eating at the table by herself with only her Chiapas-dressed housekeeper to keep her company, and she looked out the window and saw that one of the horses in the barn had gotten loose. They live on like a huge ranch, by the way. Um, so she was going, so she decided to go outside and put the horse back in the barn, which is the responsible thing to do. Um, but when she left and she made her way to the horse, who was just literally prancing around in the backyard, she actually said to the horse, to the horse, que haces aquí? She actually asked the horse what the horse was doing there. And it was the greatest thing ever that she actually asked a horse, que haces aquí? Of course, the horse, because the horse was not Mr. Ed, um, did not answer. But she got the horse safely back into the barn. And because she is a very lucky actress in a great role, she, when she got the horse back into the barn, she came upon a bad guy, um, one of the many bad guys in the show, he had let the horse loose knowing she would come out to put the horse back and then he proceeded to kidnap her. But when she found this guy in the barn, this ne'er-do-well, this layabout, she then said to the guy, que haces aquí? Which means she got to say que haces aquí twice in like 30 seconds once to a horse and once to a kidnapper. And I don't mind saying I'm very jealous. Um, and I hope one day I can be in a telenovela and I can ask people what they are doing there. Um, I never want to be on the wrong end of that question, though. Um, this novella, Mi Picado, just gets better every day, and I'm going to hate to see it come to an end. I may start watching it on YouTube from Chapter 1, but there's so many great telenovelas out there that I need to watch on YouTube. Another great one is Educando a Nina, the Mexican version, not the version from Argentina. I'm not against Argentina, 
but I've seen episodes from both. And believe me, the version you want to watch is the version from Mexico. Um, my friend Luis Miguel Martinez wrote it. It is Gerardo Cadena. It has a great crew of writers. Um, but Educando a Nina, Educating a Young Girl, is laugh-out-loud funny. Um, it's, as we would say after watching the so show, it's super funny. Um, so that's another good one to watch on YouTube. If you go to Hulu, if you go to Netflix, you will see there's a lot of great telenovelas out there. And people ask me sometimes about doing this, about learning Spanish from a telenovela. And, you know, it's not like the dark ages when I had to do it or when I didn't have to do it, but when I did it, where I had to watch the novella that night, every night, because that was the only way to see it. Then Telemundo joined uh, that On Demand, so I was able to also catch up with episodes On Demand. But this was all before Netflix. Now, with, with all the different opportunities to stream, as well as YouTube, there are so many great telenovelas you could be watching, and you could be having this much fun. Because believe me, they are a blast. Um, so I wanted to tell you about that. Now, the next thing I want to talk to you about is my latest mistake. And it wasn't so horrible so much as it was funny, I thought, um, and I thought you guys might like it too. Uh, so as you know from other broadcasts, I get lost a lot. And in my defense, I grew up in Chicago, where I pretty much never got lost. But that's because that entire city is built on a grid system, except for two streets that run on an angle, Milwaukee and Elston. And as people in Chicago know, it, you know, it gets very confusing to try to figure out an address off of Milwaukee or off of Elston. But that's just two angle streets. The rest of the city couldn't be any easier. There is no excuse for getting lost in Chicago. Here, aquí, in Mexico City, if you come across one street running perfectly straight east and west and another street running perfectly straight north and south, it is like a modern miracle and you want to light a candle and thanks. Because every street in Mexico City, as much as I love them all, is crazy curved with roundabouts. And as I've told you about my favorite street, Amsterdam Avenue, which runs on a complete circular or oval path, but it also curves. So you can never get lost if you stay on Amsterdam, but trying to find places and streets off of the roundabouts, off of Amsterdam, can get quite confusing. So yesterday, I was looking for an apartment, and uh, a waiter that I met told me about uh, a building in Amsterdam where he saw for a for rent sign. And he was right. I found the building by some miracle. Um, and yes, they had places for rent. I have to talk to uh, the manager, I guess, of the building, and I didn't get to do that today. But anyway, I wandered around looking for other for rent signs, which, you know, I didn't like to look for a place to live in Chicago. It's even harder here. Um, but I'm, you know, every day I make it my business to get out there and look for an apartment. And when I was done, feeling quite proud of myself that I actually found the building the waiter was talking about on Amsterdam, although there's a good chance 
I could have just found a different building with apartments for rent and not the building he was talking about. There's really no way to confirm that. But I found a building on Amsterdam that I thought was very pretty, um, and it uh, it had for rent sign, it had a for rent sign. So we'll see what happens. As we say in Mexico, vamos a ver. That's not the important part. As I made my way home down Amsterdam, after daring, and I consider this daring, I went to a little grocery store and bought some fruit because I negotiated the whole thing in Spanish. Peaches, plums, figs. Um, anyway, I had my bag of fruit and I started walking home. And as I was walking, um, I came upon... A, a sign on the side of a, the building that said, happiness is just around the corner. And I thought, well, that's a very nice sentiment. Happiness is just around the corner. And I was sort of mad at myself that I had never noticed that sign before because I had gone this way many times. And why didn't I ever notice that sign that said happiness is just around the corner? It was in English. Um, now, in my defense, I will say that, if you notice, I have to say in my defense a lot. I do defend myself a lot in my podcast, but I feel I must. Um, in my defense, you know, something that you have to know about Mexico City is that the sidewalks um, are extremely uneven in places, and that's because, with well, many reasons, uh, I, like, I thought it might be the earthquake, but it's actually not so much the earthquake as it is older trees in the neighborhoods that have a lot of trees. The roots come through the sidewalks and like crack open the sidewalks. Um, and so the, the sidewalks aren't even and you really got to pay attention. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I missed it because I'm always looking down, which if I ever wrote a biography about my time or a memoir about my time in Mexico City, I might call it. Uh, could, I could call it always looking down or always getting lost or um, never knowing how to tip. There's a lot of different topics I guess I could cover. But anyway, um, so I noticed this sign, this sort of actually engraved into the side of the building. Happiness is just around the corner. And I continued to walk thinking that, you know, I have to pay more attention because I'll miss great things like that. And then I realized... I had no idea where I was. Now, how I went from this roundabout on Amsterdam Avenue that at this point I have walked back and forth past, I don't know, 20, 25 times. I go there a lot, mainly because I think, oh, I know the ter terrain. Apparently not, because after a few minutes, I had no idea where I was. So I went back to the sign that said happiness is just around the corner because that's another thing I have to do in Mexico City. When I get lost, I have to go back to the last place I remembered knowing where I was, which is usually my hotel. Um, most days begin with I leave the hotel and then 20 minutes later I am back at the hotel having gotten lost and trying to start all over again. Anyway, I went back to the sign that said happiness is just around the corner and then I looked all around and I just I kind of turned around and turned around and turned around not until I threw up which would typically happen um, after turning around so many times but I finally realized that when I came off the roundabout 
I went down the wrong street. And so it wasn't a disaster, but it certainly accounted for, you know, a big waste of time and a, a terrible moment of panic when I looked around and realized I had no, nothing was familiar. Um, and so I like to say happiness is just around the corner unless you turn down the, around the wrong corner. Um, then not so much. In my search for an apartment, which is going to tie back to telenovelas in a second, in my search for an apartment, one of the things I notice, I look very closely at the photos because I'm looking at the stairs because here's the thing with the stairs. I don't know if this is throughout Mexico or just Mexico City, but I noticed a few years ago in telenovelas that the stairs inside of people's houses are really scary because it's like each stair is on its own, kind of. They don't have like whatever the back would be of the stairs. So each stair like seems to float and then there's no handrails. So you have to go up and down. Oh, and the stairs look very slippery, highly polished wood. So you have free, like a free form staircase without uh, a handrail and highly polished, no carpeting anywhere. It's a recipe for disaster, at least it would be for me. And I've often thought that in telenovelas, people would be a lot happier if they had some nice carpeting on those stairs in case they fell, they might not crack their head open. And also it would be easier to go up and down the stairs without a handrail if there was some carpeting because your foot wouldn't slide so much. Or if you don't want to have carpeting, which I understand, then get a handrail or finish those stairs so the staircase looks closed, if you know what I mean. Um, so as I look for apartments, I'm looking at these stairs and a lot of these apartments have the very scary stairs. And um, so, you know, those are off my list when they have scary stairs. Um, and I, I'm going to put on my Facebook page, I'm going to put a photo or two of what I'm talking about with these scary stairs. Because you see them in telenovelas all the time. And I always mean to say, hey, put some carpeting on those stairs. Everybody in this house would be a lot happier. You know, when you watch telenovelas, they have like this great breakfast every day. I mean, this breakfast is fantastic. And everybody is seated around the breakfast table. And everybody has like a housekeeper behind them, serving them breakfast, keeping the coffee hot, toast just right, vases, pitchers of fruit juice with, that are crystal clear, with crystal clear handles. And the fruit juice is in the handle. These breakfasts are a dream. And I've always thought, well, why are they always so unhappy in telenovelas? Because they have this great breakfast. But then I came to think, well, I think they're so unhappy because they have these very scary stairs. And you've got to think twice. You know, if you leave like your car keys upstairs before you leave the house, there's no running up and down those stairs quickly because I'm going to tell you something. I watch novellas very quickly and they always have those fancy, scary stairs, but nobody ever seems to go up or down them. Because I'll tell you what, if I was an actor or an actress in a novella, it would be in my contract that I would never be required to go up or down those scary stairs unless they get carpeting. 
and preferably a handrail. Okay. So I went to a museum the other day, the Museum of Modern Art. And it's I picked that museum to go to next because, A, it's not that big. And I like a museum that isn't that big because I never get up that early and I don't really start my day out of uh, the um, bed and breakfast until around noon. I, I'm not lazy. It's not that. It's just that, I, you know, I'm just not in a hurry, apparently, to get anywhere. So, but the, the downside of that is, you know, there's some museums and sightseeing things you really got to steal yourself for. Like, you know, the Museum of Anthropology, that's not even an all-day thing. That's like, I think, a three-day all-day thing. Um, the Zocalo. The, I mean, there's a lot of big places in Mexico. Everything in Mexico City is so big. It, crossing the street, it, this is how big crossing the street is, that there's these medians in the middle of the street that are wider than most of the streets back home. And... There, those medians are so wide that there's actually there's actually businesses being run out of the medians because that's how long it takes to cross the street that you could actually stop and, and have time to have a taco while you're waiting for the light to change or buy some furniture or some purses. There's there's a, there is business everywhere in Mexico City. I'll tell you this: this country is never going communist because I have never seen capitalism like I have seen in the city. Everybody is selling something everywhere, and that includes the medians of the street. Um, so anyway, so, and another reason why I wanted to go to the Museum of Modern Art was because um, they have a great gift shop. And you know, the only thing better than a great museum is a great museum gift shop. And the museum is broken up into four wings, A, B, C, and D. So it's very easy to navigate you can't get lost. You can't, you're not like, oh, did I forget to go see this famous painting? Because you can't miss anything because it's only, there's only four wings. It's a beautifully organized and run museum. I, I have mixed emotions about the fact they don't take credit cards. I think it's odd, but they saved me a lot of money in the gift shop because I was practically buying the place out and then they didn't take credit cards. And I was like, oh, well, que lastima. How sad. Um, but so I wish they took credit cards, but at the same time, maybe it's better because I was going to buy a lot of stuff. But the reason why I was going to buy so much stuff was that, um, well, well, first of all, on a side note, they have like a very famous and stunning painting there, the two Fridas, two Fridas by Frida Kahlo. Um, and they have, but they have a lot of other great things to see. Um, but that's like, I guess what the museum is famous for. In one of the wings, sorry, in one of the wings, they have an exhibit on a photographer named Antonio Caballero. I had never heard of him before, but he photographed a lot of celebrities uh, for Mexican, um, you know, like the equivalent of Life magazine, Look magazine, maybe not people, Life, Look, that would be about it, I guess, like those beautiful photojournalist magazines. But another thing he did that he was very well known for and something I had never heard of, he photographed um, something called a photo novella. And I just learned about these yesterday, and they're awesome. 
So a photo novella is this. You know how there's graphic novels that are comic books? Um, a photo novella is it's a, a graphic novella, except it's not a graphic novella. It's an entire novella told through photographs of actors and actresses um, and, you know, dogs and kids uh, recreating. It's, it, tells the, it tells the story of a novella through photography. And the people that populate these photos were famous telenovela actors and actresses. It was, by all accounts, a huge business. They were very popular. And I, you can't buy them anymore. Uh, they don't make photo novellas anymore. But I don't know why not. Because, you know, they were gripping stories told through photography and, you know, captions. The way you would see in a comic book. Um, you know, the blurbs. And they'd have plane crashes and people hit by cars. The photography is absolutely stunning. Um, and if you were a fan of Mad Men, um, you know, it's sort of from that, they're sort of from that time period forward. And so if you can imag imagine Mad Men told through photographs from the story, um, the most compelling shots or the most compelling scenes, that's what these photo novellas are like. Now let me go to the gift shop because as soon as I saw that exhibit, I knew I was going to need extra time and a shopping cart in the gift shop. Because the gift shop isn't big, but it's spectacular, and they had a lot of things for sale related to this exhibit. And um, I was in on all of them. Uh, I was thinking, how am I gonna ship this? Uh, where am I gonna ship this? Am I gonna keep this? I really don't wanna buy stuff here to lug around, but at the same time, I could not let the mugs the cigarette lighters, the poster, the book, the cards. I, I had to have it all. Um, and I really haven't bought much since I've been here. But I, that, that photo novella exhibit, I just wish I could find photo novellas somewhere. Um, and I guess you can, but they're probably super expensive. Anyway, um, if, you are, if you like novellas or you're interested in photography or you just like a good story, you want to check these out. Photo novellas and you want to check out Antonio Caballero. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's just fantastic. He was fantastic. And um, I recommend the museum if you come to Mexico City because it's a lovely museum that you don't ever feel lost in or is there something that I'm missing? Because that's how I always feel in a museum. Like, oh, am I missing something? Should I go right? Should I go left? Uh, it's not that kind of a place. Just bring cash and plenty of it. Um, okay. So I don't want to take up too much time with this podcast, and I'm sure I've been probably talking forever, but I could talk about all of this forever. But I do want to just leave you with a little bit more from La Patrona, which was the first novella I watched from beginning to end, and one of the reasons why I've moved to Mexico City ultimately put me on this path. When I last left off talking about La Patrona, uh, it was that Antonia La Patrona had apparently won the battle because after killing half the town, she was successfully able to frame her arch enemy, Gabi Suarez, for it. And Gabi went into the Asylum for the Criminally Insane, where she was tormented by the staff, other patients, as well as visitors, including her frenemy, Irene, who had managed to get herself pregnant 
by Gabby's boyfriend and Antonia's son, Alejandro, um, who was perpetually drunk once Gabby got w- was locked up. And uh, Irene took advantage of him in a way. And, uh, and then she was, of course, pregnant. And now they had to get married. And life went on in the teeny tiny town of San Pedro del Oro while poor Gabby was stuck in the insane asylum for the criminally insane. But she did make friends with a couple of people. One of them was a woman who was known as La Loca Mayor, the big crazy. Um, I mean, she was known as the big crazy in the asylum for the criminally insane, which should give you some idea of how crazy everybody thought she was. And then another guy, a guy named Lucho Vampa, who to get into the insane asylum, and I don't know why he wanted to get in there, but when he was locked up in the jail, he ate a huge cockroach. And I guess that was enough to get him taken out of the jail and put into the asylum for the criminally insane. So those three, Gabby, Lucho, and La Loca Mayor, became like the three musketeers of the asylum for the criminally insane. As it turned out, when Gabby and La Loca Mayor became friends, Gabby learned that La Loca Mayor was the wife of El Senador, the senator. The senator was Antonia's best friend and partner in crime of all things corrupt. And also they were godfather, godparents to each other's children, which is very important. Um, So their bond was extra strong. And the senator was married at one time to La Loca Mayor. But after he spent all of his wife's money on hookers and prost- uh, hookers and booze and a sen- campaign for the Senate, which shows you how much, you know, the states is like Mexico, right? Um, I think that senators in the states do that kind of stuff all the time. Anyway, the senator, El Senador, um, wanted to run through more of his wife's money. So he had her locked up in the asylum for the criminally insane. And he told his son that uh, the mother ran away with the tennis pro when the son was like seven. And that caused the son to be impotent with any woman, no, with his wife, but he could have sex with any woman that wasn't his wife, which is something you usually see in professional athletes and movie stars. Anyway, so Gabby, Lucha, and La Loca Mayor have discovered each other in the asylum for the criminally insane, and Gabby has discovered who La Loca Mayor is because, you know, she thought that she ran away with the tennis pro too when she was seven. So there's a big, huge fire in the asylum for the criminally insane. And because of a series of coincidences, everybody thinks that Gabby is dead. Now, nobody knew La Loco Mayor was in the asylum except for El Senador and Antonia. Um, But, um, and so I think they were happy to write her off as dead. And Lucho, Lucho Vampa, um, the guy, who ate the cockroach, nobody really knew him. So it wasn't like anybody was aware if he was dead or alive, having been burned in the fire. But the critical point is that everybody thought Gabby was dead. And Gabby and La Loca Mayor and Lucho escaped. And on the run, Gabby saved La Loca Mayor's life, which put her in debt, which put La Loca Mayor in debt to Gabby. And I'm going to leave you with the entire town of San Pedro del Oro thinks Gabby Suarez is dead. Antonia, 
has taken Gabby's son, David, who is her grandson, to live with her. And she has turned David against Gabby by poisoning his mind. And the kid is a brat anyway, so it wasn't that hard to poison his mind, especially when she bought him like a Jaguar when he was 12. Not the the animal, the car. Um, so that's where I'm going to leave you. And I'm going to leave with uh, with wishing you the best and thanking you for listening to this podcast. And uh, things have been sad here in telenovelas because Edith Gonzalez, who was a much-loved actress and starred in so many great telenovelas, including Doña Barbara, um, and most recently, Eva Latralera, she had been battling cancer for several years, and she died um, two days ago. And uh, you can feel the sadness here because she was so loved by everybody. And um, I was a huge fan of hers. And uh, so if you, if you have a chance to watch her in something, whether it's, I mean, like, there's a long list of them. But most recently, she was in Eva Latralera, and she was excellent. They're repeating it in Mexico in uh, a couple of weeks. It's going to start up again. But I think it's on Netflix. And uh, she was just a doll, and she fought really hard. And uh, it's, um, you know, last year we lost La Patrona, Christian Bach, uh, now uh, Edith Gonzalez. And so these are huge losses. But, um, you know, I'm still very happy to be here, and I want to thank you very much for listening to this podcast, and I'm sorry it's so long. I'm trying to make them shorter, but I have so much to tell you. Um, okay, ciao. Thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. Bye.